Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Courtside with Beelins and Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Today, we talk Labor Cup with my co-host and Hall of Famer, Steve Flink. Steve, this may be one of our shorter segments as it was Route City by Team Europe over Team World. Um, before we kind of get into some details, any initial thoughts from you on this? Well, it shows you that I think, yeah, I've got a lot of thoughts, but in a nutshell, I think when you've got the number two, three, four players in the world on one team, uh, you got the other team's got a, got a problem, got a real problem. And when we, however, I do think the final scoreline is a bit misleading given the, the, the tightness of some of those contests, you know, there were some, still some very well played and close matches. So team world got, didn't get the benefit of much luck over this past weekend. True. And, you know, it's funny. Some of the comments I heard before the competition started was like, oh, this is team world year. This is the first time none of the big three are playing. And then you and I were even talking last week before we recorded this. We're like, OK, no big three, but you still look and there's Medvedev, Tsitsipas and Zverev plus others. You're like, where's team world going to get the win? So, I mean, imagine if the big three were healthy and playing. I mean, it's well, but, crazy. But- what was interesting, and we we'll get into it, David. I don't want to break into your uh, your format, but just a quick thing: it, it's other years. They the, the event was unlucky in the sense that it played out so perfectly in the previous years because it would come down to the wire every year. And part of the reason it does is the increase in the points each day, and and also the the there's a certain Russian roulette factor in finishing off matches with super tiebreakers. But the, those super tiebreakers went in, in one direction this year, largely, largely. Yeah, absolutely. So for the listeners who don't know how the format works, it's um, first team to 13 points. Friday's match, there's four matches each day. Friday's match is one point. Saturday is two points. And Sunday's three points. So what Steve's referring to, if it's anywhere remotely close, Sunday is huge and it's very exciting. Right. This year, it didn't play out like that. Team World would have had to have a complete sweep on Sunday. That didn't happen. Um, I, I, You talked about the crowd. I attended this event in Chicago in 2018. And, you know, Chicago is a pro sports oriented city. I didn't know how it would play out. We don't have a lot of big time tennis. We're getting some smaller events now at Excess, which is on the south side of Chicago. But this was at the United Center where the where the uh, Bulls and the Blackhawks play. When I went in 2018, it, it was electric. It's been electric every year. And Boston, even though the score was lopsided, it was an, it, the, the fans were great. Yeah, I mean, I I I. I was not there in person, nor was I for the previous Labor Cup uh, editions. But there's no doubt you could feel the same sense of enthusiasm and enjoyment. And there's no doubt, David, that the format of playing the first two sets out with obviously traditional tie breaks, but then jumping into a super tie break for the third, it shortens it. It's, it's sort of a Reminds me of, of the world team tennis format in the sense that you're moving things along at a swift pace that's so that the fans are getting a verdict. Uh, they don't have to wait as long and they're still seeing great players and great tennis. And, and, and for the players, it's perfect, David. They make a lot of money. There's no real added pressure other than they do, do not want to disappoint their team. So it's ideal. They play hard, they play fair, but uh, it, it isn't the same kind of pressure you would have in playing Davis Cup for your country, as an example, or for that matter, playing in the finals of Wimbledon on your own. 
That is that is true. So let, let's get into it. Friday, you know, starts Friday. There's afternoon sessions and evening sessions. The afternoon sessions 2-0 Europe, um, including Matteo Berrettini beating Felix, uh, Ajir Aliasim in, in a really, really good match. The evening, Andre Ruba. Just a quick interjection here. That's a perfect example of how this thing could have changed because yeah. Felix got tight. He was up 5-3 and then 7-5 in that super tie break and it got away just imagine if he could have won that match over his friend Berrettini that could have changed the color a little bit so I just wanted to add that oh yeah and what about the very next match with Rublev and Schwartzman Rublev wins 11-9 in a super breaker match point was ridiculous how good that match point was so as you said the score was so lopsided but those are two matches that easily could have gone either way. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And the, 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 the losers were so unlucky in each case. And Schwartzman is such a, 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 such a fighter the last day and also such a colorful character. The last day he's bouncing the ball. He's doing the soccer routine, kicking the ball up in the air for about a minute, left foot, right foot up in the air, and then kicks it across the net and the crowd applauds him. He's a very interesting guy. Great to watch because we're five foot seven is the official listing for Schwartzman, but David, People who've been up close with him tell me he's, and I've, I've, I've been fairly close to, he's probably no more than five, six. I but wouldn't what, doubt it. But what, a, but it, it, every inch and every pound of it, a fighter. And so he's great for the fans. And it's nice to see that when you've got a six, six Medvedev and a six, six Zarev out there in that same competition to see somebody who's about a foot shorter, still competing it, it, it honorably. Very well said. And, and the, the night capper for Friday was the doubles. And this was the one and only point that Team World got. And at the end of it, it was supposedly stated that Sasha Zverev said this will be the only point Team World will get the weekend. And, you know, to hear that initially, you're like, whoa, that's a bold, bold statement. It unbelievably played out that way, which was which was crazy. Yeah, he probably meant it a bit frivolously, by the way, or to fire up his team. You know, that's sort of the typical uh, good natured trash talk that you get in sports. And he even admitted later he knew how close some of those matches were. In in essence, he was admitting he didn't necessarily believe it, but he said it. And I've got to believe it was to definitely inspire his teammates to go after every match and and try to do that. Yeah, I, I agree. Now, Saturday. Um, right off the bat, they did this the first match. Um, they had Stefano Tsitsipas versus Nick Kyrgios. Normally, that would be an unbelievable match. Nick, um, I know you would agree with me, has just not been himself lately, has not been playing nearly as what he's capable of playing. And um, it got a little close there near the end, but it never felt that Steph was going to lose that match, and he won no, it in great sense. Absolutely right. You know, Steph, he had lost to Kyrgios a couple of times, you know, in very close matches in the past, but that was a different Kyrgios, as you very accurately Describe. We have not seen the same Nick Kyrgios this year, and his heart was in it, no doubt about it. But his tennis was not up to the level that we've seen from Nick in past years. And Sitsipas realized that. And as you said, a little, a little suspense at the end, only in the sense that Sitsipas had the break and was trying to just close out those last couple of service games, fighting off break points. But that's all it was. Yeah. And Sitsipas was a clearly superior player, so Nick was definitely not able to give his team the same type of emotional energy as he did in in other years despite the fact that he was trying his hardest yep uh the the very next match was really close again another super tiebreaker um sasha's vera versus john isner the one thing i will say and i'm going to get your thoughts on this match 
And it's a general statement, even though you said these matches, you know, a bunch of them were in super breakers. Um, I kind of, me personally got the feeling that, yeah, some of these are close and yeah, once you get to a super breaker, anything can happen, but deep down inside, even those close matches, I felt team Europe just, they were going to win because they were just playing better. Well, I think that is true of the match you're talking about right now, David. Zarev and Isner, he, he is just playing better than John Isner. He is better and he was playing better. So I'd agree with you on that. I would say in the case of Felix against Mateo, hanging in the balance a bit in the Schwartzman match as well, I'm not quite as sure if I agree on those two. No doubt about Zarev and Isner that you had that feeling but I mean, if, if, if one of us were going to have a friendly bet for a bag of potato chips, I think we would have, we would have gone for the potato chips on, on Zarev all the way. Yeah. Um, he's just, he's, you know, obviously he moves better. He's got, he's a better, all he's better off the ground. He's got certain advantages. John has to serve perfectly in that super tie break. If he's going to get through it, which he's done against Zarev once before, but and it didn't look like it was, I agree with you. It didn't, you didn't have that feeling this time around. You just had the feeling that Zareb was going to get it done. You mentioned the serve with John and I, and I, we didn't talk about this yet. So I'll bring it up now. Um, the court played extremely slow and I, you know, with, with team world having a bunch of big servers, um, I didn't know if they'd want to speed, if they even had a choice and I'm not, I don't know if they do or not, but, um, if they would have preferred to have that court play a little bit quicker than it did, it, it seemed like even on, even during the rallies, it was hard to hit through the court a bunch of times. I agree. I totally agree. And uh, you, you it, had they known, maybe the balls also contributed to it too, the, the twin factors. But I think that that could have that could have helped slightly. It could have helped slightly. But it still gets back to the problem of you've got Medvedev coming off the U.S. Open. You've got Zarev, who's just a great, great player, who's going to win one of these majors sooner or later. And you've got Sissipas, who was one set away from winning the French Open. They're three outstanding tennis players. And they were and they were not lacking in motivation, David. They, they really wanted this. So in the end, that was going to be pretty difficult to stop. Yeah, you mentioned Daniil Medvedev. He was the first match in the, uh, Saturday evening. He routed Denis Shapovalov, 6-4, six, 6-love. Six, um, that second set, I mean, Daniil was on, but you were you were hoping for a little bit more of a fight from Dennis. Um, Dennis, yeah, I agree. I agree. And Dennis got confused, and he didn't keep up the same kind of surprise attacking tactics he had that kept him in there to four all in the first set. And thereafter, it really just unraveled. And that's one of the problems with Dennis is uh david is that you know sometimes you know when his game goes off and he gets a little down on himself he can start making far too many unforced errors and he starts beating himself too and daniel was 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 well aware of that and exploited yes. but i do find that disappointing that, that dennis has definitely made progress ever since we saw him beat rafa in the masters 1000 event way back in 17 and great open that year too and steadily every year all the way to the semis of Wimbledon this year but then sometimes I think when something like that happens is the great showing at Wimbledon and playing well against Djokovic then he starts get the head gets too big for he gets too big for his britches I don't mean that in a hostile way but I do think that he's a he's a confidence kind of player and sometimes he needs to realize that the work has to still be put in and he can't take any opponent lightly and certainly Medvedev uh, unfortunately just turned into a wall again in that second set so that Dennis could not find any holes in the Russians game, but he should have done better. There's no way he should be getting 
blitzed in the second set the way he did. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's something mentally. I don't think it's lack of putting the work in because I've seen him in a couple tournaments where I've been there in person. I mean, yeah. in Cincinnati, for instance, he had three hitting sessions yeah, on an you off know, day. He puts, David, it in, he puts the hours in. Sorry for interrupting. Thank you for saying that. I meant more the mental work. I don't yeah. mean that he doesn't train, but the mindset has to be, okay, I'm not there yet. I'm getting in there. I'm closing in there. But just because I pushed Novak Djokovic and played a good Wimbledon semi and got to my first major semi, it doesn't mean there aren't guys going to start cutting me down again. And, and, and they're not going to be afraid of me until I prove that I can do that regularly. So I just mean it, it, I'd like to see him keep working on the mindset because you're right. The training, no, he's very fit. He works hard. I think most of these really? guys, but he needs to work even harder on his mind. Uh, agreed and hopefully he will because he's he's such a talent now if you're keeping score at home folks at this point it's it was 3-1 after friday it's now 5-1 so it's 9-1 going into the last match and if team world has any hope they gotta win this doubles match and Pass and rublev beat john isner and nick Kyrgios in a super breaker again it's 11-1 at the end of the first two days of the competition I was pretty much over after that, Steve. Yeah, and that made it. Then it became 14-1. Yeah, it, that, it, that was a tough position for Team World to be in, knowing that they absolutely have to win that doubles. And Rublev and Zarev were, were terrific together. Very funny moment after the match, David, when they were interviewed by Jim Courier, who suggested to Rublev that he never thought he would be saying this, but maybe Rublev was the best doubles player on he the was, court. He was and, great. And I think he was right. And Rublev was very self-deprecating about it and, and appreciative of Jim's remark. And then Zarev sort of came back at Courier in a very playful way and said, I think I had something to do with it also. It was, it was nice to see that because you don't usually get that in, in these courtside interviews. They're much more formal, but it was very relaxed. And, uh, and, and I, I thought that was a great moment. The fact is, it'd be pretty hard to choose between who played better in that match because they both were terrific. And in the super tie break, they were unstoppable. Unstoppable. You know, I, there was one point in that match, you know, Zverev and Rublev were talking Sunday's first match. Now they, they won the first set easily. And then it was two, two in the second set and team Europe had love 40 on Riley's serve and Riley yeah. held. And so many times when you miss an opportunity like that, that can give a jolt to the other side. And I felt like, okay, they had Team Europe had a chance to put this match away. They had Love 40 on Riley serve, didn't get it done. Let's see if Team World can use that momentum. Uh, it didn't quite happen, but um, that, uh, that was the one point in the match where I'm like, okay, maybe this can flip a little bit. Yeah, I felt the same way too. But then when it came down to the super tie break, you know, they got that quick mini break that the, uh, the Rublev Zarev tandem got the quick early lead and, and just never relinquished it. And they were. They were terrific all the way through. Their class showed. And let's face it, where these super tie breaks are no accident. Yes, it's certainly a, there's much more of an element of luck than in a fully played out set. Having said that, the longer tie break versus the standard first to seven, the 12, the old 12 point tie break, there's no doubt that class class is revealed. And right. so I think uh, I think they really showed that Rublev and Zarev. They were terrific. And to, to illustrate your example, that's why three out of five in the slams, the best players statistically right. mostly win because it's it's yeah. much easier to for them to win three out of five than it is if it's a one set shootout, let's say. So yeah, 
absolutely, absolutely right. And that's why the leading players uh, on that count, David, will always insist you're not going to see that change. You get talk from time to time of let's why don't we just have the men play best of three at the slams? That would be great now that I don't think the leading players will ever stand for that because they know it's in their best interest to keep it that way. And, and it also sets the majors apart. I agree 100%. No argument from me. No argument from Brad Gilbert on that one as well. He's adamant uh, to keep it three out of five as well. Um, I want to kind of be careful about the the next topic um, as far as changes to this event, because a lot of people were talking about it so one-sided. Sunday, people paid tickets and they got really one match out of it instead of we get an afternoon session, evening session, whatever it is. But um, it was pretty much over by Sunday. And, you know, we had the Ryder Cup and golf playing the same weekend. And I think historically Team Europe has, has routed that event, you know, a long time for a long time. And then we've gotten much better. And of course, this past weekend we won it. But um, there's been thought about changing formats or adding. I, I think, you know, adding women to, to the both teams would be really interesting. You're getting more to that world tennis format with the very best players in the world. Um, last summer's world tennis event, I'm talking 2020 world tennis event was pretty good. Cause you got a lot more top players cause there was nothing else going on. Um, yeah. this would be pretty cool because you'd be getting the very best in the world playing. Um, but again, um, I don't want to be, I, there shouldn't be much as much haste in changing an event just because one year it was so lopsided. You saw how great this event was the previous few times they played it as well. Yeah, no, I agree. I don't, I, I do think your idea of the women's intriguing, I've always felt, I always felt, David, that the year-end championships for men and women would be much nicer and more dynamic together. Uh, but in this, you have the added benefit because in the case of the year-end championships, you're talking about singles and you'll have men's and women's singles mixed in together and that's fun for the fans. But here, the potential is there that you have an Ash Barty or a Raducanu or one of these top women playing mixed with Zarev or playing mixed with with if Rafa came back and played it, but you could get these fantastic mixed doubles matches thrown into the equation that the fans would, they would find that so in, enormously appealing. And, and we don't see that very often. We really don't because the top players don't often enter the mixed at all, but here you would get it. And I think they would have so much fun together. These top men and women playing in the mixed and the fans, 100%. for them, it would be a definite treat. That, to me, would be the biggest advantage, even more than the singles, would be the mixed doubles. Yeah, 100%. I mean, even the crowd, right? Because they'd get that they'd get that Davis Cup, that Fed Cup feeling, too, that, yeah. you know, Davis Cup yeah. is men, Fed Cup to women. They don't have that mix. So other than mixed doubles playing for yourselves, basically, in a slam or a world team tennis format, um, this would really... Um, stack the stack the teams on both sides of it it would be really really cool to have it um i know you have some thoughts too with with davis cup and i i i i guess i'm eager to hear your thoughts you know davis cup they just had around the the weekend before and i just feel like that's getting uh lesser and lesser of a priority um the last year or so David, it's kind of a shame because the ATP, they also have a very good team event of their own. That's now sort of the opening act of the year prior to the Australian Open. So they get a very good field there because the, the Djokovic and other top players, Medvedev, they're able to sort of hone their games leading into the Australian Open, but they take the team event very seriously. Then with Davis Cup, they're trying to slot it in where they can 
it's gotten a bit lost in the shuffle and to have labor cup in there as well i think the public is is quite confused by it all they don't quite know how to prioritize what really matters the bottom line is davis cup started back in 1900 it is the bona fide authentic team event and i i wish they could find a way to elevate its status once more and I wish the players would look at it that way. I think I don't know how much they believe in it anymore uh, compared to what they did, say, 15, 20 years. I mean, McEnroe, McEnroe had his share of, of histrionics, David, to, to put it mildly. But boy, was he ready to play for his country because he understood the tradition of the event. He knew what it meant. So I'm just sorry to see that. Here's how I look at Labor Cup. I think it should be seen as a as as an, an exhibition event that really promotes tennis, which it does. But I mean, for instance, I don't agree with the idea. And I think Brad, I don't know how Brad Gilbert Gilbert feels about this, but I've talked to others. I don't like the idea of the matches counting in a player's record now. How do you count? I hate that? I hate that. I agree. Yeah, I count matches that are that are ending in super tie breaks. That's to me. Yes, you can have matches best of three versus best of five, but those are genuinely played out matches, part of the tradition of the sport. This, to me, the reason that it works so well as, as a high-scale exhibition is you have that luxury of going ahead and using the super tiebreak for the benefit of the fans. But right. to me, there's a big, big difference between, a, to me, there's, it, it's, it, it's not even on a level with either Davis Cup or ATP Cup. Not, and I'm not saying that critically because I think it has its place in the sport. And I love the idea of them moving it around Boston this year, London next year, who knows where they'll go from there. They've been in Chicago. You saw it there. Uh, they've moved it all around the world and it's, it's been showcased and it deserves its place, but not to the point where it's going to harm Davis cup, especially Davis cup has got to find its way back to the top of the, of the, uh, of the game again, the way it always has been traditionally. And it's going to take some work. Yeah, it is going to take some work, and, and hopefully it will get there because uh, I think we all agree, everyone in the tennis world things uh, agrees that it's getting kind of lost in the shuffle here, and hopefully they'll they'll rectify that soon. Um, it was great seeing Roger. It was great seeing Roger at uh, in, the, in Boston. He looked good. I know he had his crutches on, but um, it was great to see him. It was great to hear him speak, and um, we'll see. I think there was an Instagram post about him and Rafa maybe playing doubles next year in London together, so maybe we'll get the – I saw that. One quick thing about Roger. It was interesting. I, what I liked about what he said, two things. One, that Jim Courier brought up to him the potential of Roger becoming a captain. For sure. Labor. And he was very, very, uh, what's the right word? Self-effacing and reasonable and, and very nice about it by saying that maybe he would take a co-captain or a vice captain or because he didn't want to step on the toes of a Mackinac or Borg and feel like he was just pushing himself around that way, which I thought was great. And, but the second thing was how he's going to take his time on the comeback. So I get the impression there's a very, only a small chance we would see him at the Australian open. He wasn't asked by courier, but the way he was describing the, the, the process, it doesn't sound likely to me that now we're in the end of September, that there's much chance that he would leap out, into the Australian Open. So I don't think we're going to see him until the spring. That's how reading between the lines. That's what I got out of that interview. And that's I smart. agree with you. And he, any, any reference Wimbledon too, he's like, uh, he wanted to play Wimbledon so bad last year, but he, he kind of referenced it. And it was amazing. He got to the, 
the quarters he he almost lost in the first round if his opponent didn't get injured that was yeah. going to be really close but he's he pretty much said he was not nearly 100% playing Wimbledon no he did he absolutely said that he said he was nowhere near where he yeah. wanted to be which shows you but you can look at that two ways because he knows he still managed to get himself to into the court the so that has, that's why I think he would be encouraged about trying to go back and give it one more go this year. Having said that, I don't know whether the draw would necessarily play out. I mean, he got the break in the first round of the Manorino with the injury and sneaking through in five and got a little better after that until he lost to Herkosh. But I, I think the draw might not play out quite as well next year and it might still be harder. However, that was an amazing that he could actually get to the quarters based on the way he had been playing, how little he'd been playing. Yes, he got he got through a couple of matches at the French, but still, that was uh, that was all on essentially on one knee because yeah. that he was obviously very bad, and that's of course the fear that has to be a little bit of a fear factor in the back of his mind, David, that he feels like this surgery. They seem to feel like it went really well, but he'll never know. He won't know until he starts actually getting back in tournaments again sometime next year, just how well that knee is going to respond to fierce tennis competition. So I think a part of him is prepared for the idea that it might not work out. It might be that next year is it. And that's not the worst thing that could happen to him. He's 40 years old and he, he avoided the injuries for so long and still came back at 35 to win the Australian after six months away after his first knee surgery way back in 16. So I think it's uh, he, he doesn't have too much to complain about, nor do the fans, because he stretched his career out across so many great years. I think that's a that's a great place to end this conversation, Steve. Um, Team Europe, too good. And uh, Team World still looking for their first uh, first win in this competition. Next time it's played, it's going to be in London. Uh, Team World still got its. Uh, we're cut out for it because that Team Europe team is just stacked. So we shall see. Steve, this was fun. We got Indian Wells coming up. Obviously, different time on the schedule. Normally played in the springtime. We got it in the fall. So we still got some good tennis, and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, it'd be interesting, David, because that there's all supposed to be at Indian Wells, the top men. Nobody knows yet about Djokovic, but all the rest of them there are, are, will be there. And it, it's going to be strange to be watching Indian Wells in October. Yeah. Very, very strange. We're looking forward to it. Uh, Steve, this was fun. We'll talk again, and we'll uh, we'll do a little Indian Wells recap, and we'll have some other episodes going on as well. Okay, David, thanks. Enjoyed it.